Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report, week commencing 11th of November 2019. Well, what a fantastic week we've just had. The market has gone up very dramatically on new crop and it's dragged everything else with it, really. So, as I said last week, if you live your life by price, then um, it's a very happy time for you. Unfortunately, the reason for the rally is the utterly dismal weather that we've been suffering. Um, The forecast looking ahead is pretty grim. The River Don has broken its banks in several places in Yorkshire, so that doesn't bode well for planting up there. I think Norfolk, by assessment, has done better than most counties. The eastern counties have been drier in a very wet time, uh, and people have snatched at getting stuff into the ground following sugar beet, following potatoes, or just getting out there and doing it with a spinning disc or whatever they've done on the heavier land. And we all know that it's not going to yield as well. We all know that it's already had an impact on the size of next year's harvest. If it's actually in the ground, um, it must be vaguely reassuring. The only problem is, perhaps also, with the stuff that's been splattered in in the last week, the rain of the last couple of days is probably going to do a fair bit of damage to that as well. So it's a very grim production figure. Uh, And so there's lots of debate about the size of next year's wheat crop, which is why the price has gone up. And you've got the young young people who are coming out with alarmist sort of Twitter sensational pictures of puddles saying, this is what my field looks like saying less than 11 million tonnes of wheat. And then you've got some kind of more seasoned heads that know that there will be planting as we go through November, through December. Golden opportunity for the farmer to go out on Boxing Day and prove to his wife that he works really hard by planting some because it's dry. Whatever it takes, they will go out there and they'll do something in those two months. And they will do the same in January because they will look at the price which is up and say, I can make money with feed wheat at three tonnes an acre or you know, eight tons a hectare or seven tons a hectare if it gets to 170 or something like that. And the price has been so dramatic, as as I'll report in a second, that there's been a really good increase in value and I think farmers will keep planting it. So let's get on to prices and let's talk about wheat first because that's what I've been running on about primarily as the leader. So old crop wheat, in theory, in my opinion, shouldn't really be going up. We're not really competitive export wise we're not far off but there just isn't a really big demand in November because we've started late in trying to sell it as I've talked about in previous weeks but the value for for ex-farm wheat has has risen in a three-week period seven pounds a ton so if you were selling November wheat today you would make 137 ex-farm if you're selling December wheat the whole month, including the Christmas period, because lots of farmers sell December wheat, then declare they're closed for the Christmas period, like they're some form of supermarket or some sort of uh, store department. Whereas everyone else has to keep working, they've let everybody go away and they don't work anymore. So if you want the whole month, you'll get 139. And most merchants will be fair in that. They won't shove all of it in that last week. They will do you know, a proportion, first, second, third and fourth week of the month. But that's a point I do want to make, that um, just because a farmer decrees he's not open means that that price could be dropped by a little bit to compensate for moving it early. 
January you'll make 140x, which is a magic price, or was a magic price. We're not seeing any selling particularly, but there it is, 140 for Jan. And if you look at May, 146x, and if you wanted to sell wheat for £150 a tonne for this year's crop, you could make that for July, again, for the whole of the month. So... It's a fantastic rally and here we sit with a half decent yield this year and lots of wheat still to be traded by farmers. That's where the surplus is. The only problem is they're in kind of freeze frame at the moment and not selling it because they're too busy thinking about their troubles of the new crop. So old crop's been dragged up because if you look at harvest value for feed wheat, X farm, it's 145, which isn't that much of a discount to the tail end of the year, as you can see. Or 149 delivered into store for immediate movement the day you cut it. Um, Or if you're looking X farm for November, 152. So even from a farm perspective, there is a small carry in the market from old crop to new crop. As far as the futures are concerned, the the bit that we trade, the difference between May at 149.50 approximately and November at 157.58, somewhere around there, you've got an £8 carry. That's not enough for a store to do any carrying yet from one year to the next. But the probability is we will be taking some wheat from this year's crop into next year's crop, I think. And I therefore believe that the spread between those two will widen. In other words, new crop will go up more than old crop does. If it keeps rallying this aggressively, obviously the old crop price will be shirt tailing behind it and come up as well. But I do think that spread will carry out to possibly as high as 15, 16 pounds a tonne. And the reality is that the UK has still got a surplus of wheat. And if we price ourselves too high, we won't clear that surplus. So it will end up the tail end of the season with everyone going, ooh, um, I'd like to sell my wheat now. And there will be less places for it to go. I'm kind of hoping this happens because I hope that I can fill up my stores with old crop wheat and show a margin to sell it on new crop. And that will actually mean my stores get filled next year. Because the knock-on effect of this terrible planting period is... If we only see a 13 million tonne wheat crop, which is the top end of the guess, we haven't got enough wheat in this country to service our needs and we will be importing it. And more importantly, you'll all be feeling very sorry for the poor grain merchant, but if there's a total of 6 million tonnes coming off the entire UK cereal production, that's an awfully large amount of money that isn't going to be made by people trading it. So I know the farmers are getting a tough time, but... There's a lot less grain to trade, and the bigger your overhead, the harder it is going to be to make money. And unfortunately, lots of the grain trade have too high an overhead for the money that they make from trading. So maybe more casualties on the way, we shall see. Feed barley is obviously being dragged up slightly on the back of it. Spot feed barley, 120. That isn't going to go down because of the firmness in the wheat market. It's quite a big discount now. It's nearly £20 a tonne. I do see that firming a little bit as time goes on. And the good news about that is if feed barley creeps up to 125, that was what malting barley was trading at a couple of weeks ago. So it kind of underwrites the barley market. The surplus of malting barley is diminishing because more and more tons of it is slipping into the feed market because there's barely a discount. So in time, I suspect if the weather keeps playing up, one or two maltsters will look at this year's surplus and perhaps pay a bit more money for it to secure it, to put in their bins ready for next year, just to make sure they've got some up their shirt. I think at this moment they're still in completely relaxed, there's too much to go around type mode and uh, overconfidence is never, never a great way to win a World Cup final, as we all know. So finally, oilseed rape, spot price creeping up day by day, uh, 322x for November. This year's crop, we're still friendly to it. Uh, new crop, 
310 Harvest Movement, um, still friendly to that. There's well-publicised issues on production on, on rape area across Europe. So, yep, yeah, we're friendly to that. We're friendly to new crop wheat still. There'll be a correction or two, but we still think it's got further to go up because of the troubles. If the forecast suddenly turns dry for a very long period, that will alter. But at this point in time, we've gone up so much, we're more money than the French. So uh, we still think, underlyingly, it is a bullish market. So if you live your life by price, happy days. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. This is an advert for our merchant listeners. The Norfolk Dinner is to be held on January the 16th. We have a new venue in the city centre, giving a much better experience, showcasing what Norfolk is about. Book tickets or tables via emma at dewinggrain.co.uk. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This morning, I have got with me the legendary fly half of Holt RFC from the 1980s and 90s, Ali Cargill. Good morning, Andy. I would say centre, or maybe sort of slobbing around at fullback now and again. No, no, I remember you fly half. <laughs> I remember you even playing scrum half. Uh, oh, yeah, scrum half, I think, after the great Matty Powell. <laughs> well, uh, the, the <laughs> A one-man team. I went to the whole RFC players' dinner last oh, night. How was it? Was it, it, was, it was really good because um, the, the, the old guy who's been turning up there for 100 years, cracking the same jokes every year, which are very funny, a chap called Roger Dakin. I had him at a uh, hockey supper about five nights before. Funny. Same jokes as I heard 25 well, years ago. But the point is, he couldn't make it. He, he was unable. It was his 80th oh. birthday. And so a different Roger, Roger Day, oh my goodness. took over. And it was... it was Doris. Yeah. Doris yeah. absolutely nailed it. He loved it. He got talking and he started going off on stories. And he picked people out from the audience one by one. It was hilarious. And he was, he was brilliant. He is very good. And he handles... He's a better the, speaker than he was a rugby player. Well, he's the only player who's probably <laughs> lost weight since he, since he gave up. <laughs> but he looked really well, and he was, he was on top Very form, good. and he was able to handle Freddie and all sorts of interruptions. He just he would say, shit down, Freddie! <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that was it, they listened. Anyway, yeah. so, so there's a spot of reminiscing. Um, so, Ali, you, you know, you're a local farmer to us. Just, just talk us through the, the name of your farm, what you do. So, yeah, so up in Gimmingham and Napton, and uh, we own roughly about a thousand acres, but we do a lot of contract farming for neighbouring farms and estates around about the place. So, grandfather came down in sort of 1922. Uh, after the depression up in Scotland, took a loan out, and a guarantor was one of his cousins. And um, he'd paid it off in two years, bought the Gimmingham farm, then bought the farm next door, sold it, bought the Napton farm, and then within a period of at least 10 years, he'd bought the Routon farm, Gunston farm, Olby farm. Uh, so yeah, he was a very successful, hard-working man. He very hard-working. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Brought well, everything down on the train. A number of his grandchildren ended up with individual farms amongst that who are our customers. So Indeed. Yeah. We're very gratefully, I'm glad he did. <laughs> yeah. Came down and bought the odd village. Yeah. And as luck would have it, it, turned, it was land that you can use in wet times. Yes. And you can grow many crops. <clears throat> so your, your favourite crop is? Uh, well, favourite crop? You know, I would say potatoes, probably, Andy. Potatoes are what you, you kind of put your energy into and that you had some involvement in um, temperature control and I, I seem to remember... I think when we built an experimental unit for PepsiCo, for Walker's Crisps, mm-hmm. uh, back in about 2000, and we did a lot of their trialling work for all their new varieties, so we grew about 38 
to 45 new varieties every year, tested them to destruction in the stores, and then they went down a single production line up at Leicester, um, specifically for those individual varieties. But yeah, we've, we've done a lot with technology on storage. Did you, I mean, are you still involved with that in any depth? Yeah, yeah, very much. I mean, so we're always looking at the new technology that's coming through uh, from around the world. Not much has changed in the last, I would suggest, five years, although we are looking at sort of fridge systems that we're running. We're trying to track into weather stations across the country uh, so that we can see cold fronts coming in. If we can see a cold front coming, then we can delay putting on the fridge units. So it saves us money. So it's about yeah. Which, um, which is your green, your green state? Green technology, yeah. Which is what we're trying to, trying to achieve. Carbon footprint and, and technology has changed massively mm. in that time through things like abiotic cooling, mm. um, for putting air through water, which obviously dropped the temperature, so that you then didn't have to use the fridge units quite as much. So really quite simple stuff, but nobody had really looked at that technology. So is that possible within grain storage as well? I'm not aware. So of this. yeah, we're working on dew point to. Okay take moisture out of grain uh, with high volumes of air but very low energy so inverters on everything but the uh, the amount of fuel that you need so the amount of heat yeah uh, is very low so we're not using a lot of natural gas to and how, try and how cool long that. a period is that over is that a so scale? actually we'll cool it within a period or sort of take the moisture out within a period of about two two and a half weeks you're measuring dew point outside so a differential of dry air so relative humidity. Correct. Yeah. yeah. The biggest burning question as a potato grower is, are all of your potatoes out of the ground? Well, they are. Yes. So, all <laughs> so of I you, can say it's all slightly you... smug, but, um, but we have... Slightly obviously. smug. Yeah, all you other potato listeners, yeah. sorry about that. I had to ask him. I did actually know the answer beforehand to see if he smirked <clears> or not. <throat> it's been a bit of a problem this autumn, has it not? I think we've been lulled into a false sense of security over the last two or three years. And people have said, oh, we've just taken a little bit more, taken a little bit more. And they've come across. So you're well into your planting this autumn? We're up to date, yeah. So and That's um, double smug, double, not well, smug, double like people are going to go... Ugh. Well, we are up to date, and, and that's through, I think, reasonable planning, but also not taking on too much. You know, we, mm-hmm. we have cut back from 1,000 acres to around about 300 acres of potatoes, so mm-hmm. um, it's manageable with one superb operator and a very good team of guys and girls. We are on top of stuff because... I think it's good about good planning. And, mm. and also it's about you know, land type. You know, we're not pushing land too hard. There is another crop that uh, you grow, and you, you grow fantastic malting barley every single year. Thank you. Well, what's, <laughs> what's your trick? I think we've been doing it for a very long time, and I think that so probably has people. something to do with it. It's about land type. We're lucky we're out on the coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a good maritime climate. We tend not to get those scorching summers. Yeah. Because of the the, the, scud. the the scud that comes in. So we get a good easterly, we're laughing, because yeah. um, it keeps it a bit cooler. Again, I think it's about land preparation and ploughing at the right time. We do, do we still do a lot of ploughing as opposed to direct drilling. And for the right type of land after potatoes, it works exceptionally well. We put a big flat lift in, and then we're going drilling behind with a big old horse. Um, this year would have been a bit of a mess, but we kept hold of our combination drill yeah, our big old amazon which has done i must have done three four hundred acres this year well there's a whole load of there's there's a lot of drills that have been purchased that are nowhere near the size of the wonder Indeed. drill they've got yeah 
that's been left in the barn so people can just get something done. No, I totally agree. But boy, oh boy, there's some ugly sights on, you know, you look on Twitter and see some of the things people are doing. It's not going to yield next year. So there's, there's, it's not pretty, is it? It's not pretty. The market has gone up 12 pounds in a week. Yeah. Because the weather and the weather forecast is appalling. So it's, to hear you've got A, people can't get wheat in. And it's, is it a local market still? Norfolk's done better than most. We're okay, relatively. I mean, a lot of people who haven't got on that well will, will, curse me for that but generally the, the county is, has got the stuff in the ground so the in, big call will be for everybody asking for spring barley seed <laughs> absolutely and so the spring barley will be stuffed we're selling, stuffed we're, selling we're selling our spring barley seed now we're saying right do it it's it's going to be short it's not just malting barley growers it's people in the midlands cambridgeshire lincolnshire who didn't get their winter feed barley and they grow feed barley over there because they can't grow malting barley yeah and they haven't got that in and they can't just have wheat and it's going to be sold because they need to plant something yeah it is a problem. There are people fixing? Yeah, that's a tough one because if, with wheat rocketing up, yes, they are. We, you know, prices for spring barley, uh, as we, you know, we, we have a market report each week, around about £150 a tonne relative to the size of the crop coming. And the surplus that was here this, this last year, yes, people will do some because yeah. it is a price they can make money at, making the assumption the spring is going to be kind. Indeed, and also making the assumption they know what their cost of production is. One would assume on spring barley, if you get it into good conditions, you're going to make money 150. I agree, I agree. But they've got to know what their cost of production is before they say, yeah, I'll take 150. Yes, but I, th- I think... Because a lot of stuff is going to be forced in this year. I've learned that if you really press farmers on their cost of production, some people know it instantly and you know you're talking to someone who's who's got it down to every penny and they will probably declare what they need to make yeah. in order for it to make sense. And I had a conversation last night, funnily enough, at the rugby club dinner with a farmer who said the new crop prices for wheat are not high enough at 160 for me to make money with the potential yield I'm going to get from the late planting and the mess that's been made. It needs to be probably £20 higher than that. And I found that fascinating. The point is that he recognises the dynamic of his difficult autumn. There's a lot of clay around what he's got there, so he's really going to struggle to get stuff in. People in the south of Norfolk and North Suffolk are broadcasting the stuff on. Crikey. And then... putting a light harrow over the top. If you've been around enough years, you know, this is why they call it boys' land in North Norfolk. The, the, you, once it's this wet, you, can't, you couldn't go on there with anything, uh, you know, a massive great tractor would just... Yeah, so we were lifting sugar beets day before yesterday... And yeah. we were ploughing directly and drilling straight into it, straight, but directly behind. Yeah, well, South Norfolk, you'd be doing that with a submarine. It's like yeah, you just nice. go in and down. You, I have sympathy, and they have a field that if they don't broadcast it, nothing's going to happen to that field until you get to February or yeah. March, when it might have a chance of drying out. So you've got to do something, and it can't all be spring barley. So, yeah, I, and they've bought the seed. and I, I've seen all this so before. There'll be pressure on the spring barley market because there's going to be too much around. Yes, but there may well be a good counter for that in the base feed price being firm. Yeah, on the back of wheat? Yeah, on the back of wheat and feed barley. And there wasn't that much winter barley went in the ground, which also helps Mm. because the insurance crop, you know, when spring barley crop fails, the molster who doesn't really love winter barley suddenly goes, oh, actually, I'll have that. And you end up getting a good price for for your winter barley. So the dynamic at this precise moment is quite dramatic, actually. And the right decision, who you can't, you absolutely cannot predict the right decision. So you do need to know your cost of production of your spring barley is £150 a tonne a profit for something that you spend less variable costs on. And in theory, it goes in well. Our only problem with that is it won't be planted for another three months. Correct. Or four. And that's going to be post-Brexit. 
Ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, well, <laughs> Maybe. Let's, let's dance on that, because before the mics were turned on, I said, there's things that we talk about and things we don't. And uh, he said, oh, I'll talk about anything, didn't you? <laughs> I did, yeah. I don't see the problem with talking let's about talk, it. Let's but... talk about Brexit. Because well, we well, always you know. avoid Brexit. We're not going to today. Can't. Yeah, I can't believe you don't talk about Brexit. Why, give me, why give me the stats. Talk about, talk about why you don't talk about Brexit. Because, it's, because it upsets too many people. Yeah. The stat you gave me. Well, I did, yeah. 64% of farmers voted out. 64% of yeah. my customer base voted out. And 64% of farmers in the UK rely upon the basic payment scheme to make a profit. Right. Typically, it does include whales uh, and sheep farming and all the rest of it that goes with it. Mm. But the statistic does tend to point to the fact that maybe some people don't know their cost of production. Yes, and only the top 25% of arable farmers make a profit from their farming Correct. before the subsidy. Yeah. So we model all of our contract farming arrangements without a subsidy. So the reason I avoid this subject is because I have people who listen who will have voted out perhaps through an emotion, a feeling of nostalgia for Vera Lynn and, and Spitfires shooting down MiG fighters. Uh, yeah, they probably weren't MiGs, Andy. I think they were FE-109s, weren't they? Yeah, well, but the yeah. point is that we're going back to having the Spitfire to outsmart them because we've got more manoeuvrability. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lucky shot, bull shot. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the point is that... Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's an emotive subject. People emotive. get very upset. Yeah. Uh, because at some point, at the end of all of this, neither side are going to be happy. I totally agree with that. Because the, what is the view? What is the utopian view of you know, surfs and uh, horses and carts? Yeah, well, you know, so the subsidy goes. Mm-hmm. You know, twenty twenty seven is you know down to zero. Elms comes in. All of those who have made an excellent effort with the environment over the last ten years will reap some of those benefits. So we've we've put in getting on for fifteen kilometres of hedging, mm-hmm. forty five, fifty acres of woodland, reclaimed a whole load of beautiful marshland. So we've danced on Brexit, and, and I've taken the mickey, and, you know... Yeah. But it is serious. It's a serious effect, though. You know, if people really look at the statistics behind it, and if we go to a WTO rules, if we have no deal, <laughs> then it is seriously worrying. The first how many thousand tonnes into Europe is at 13 euros a tonne. Yeah. That's but not... after that, it's going to be 93. Yeah. And I don't think people have clocked that. Well, they should have clocked well, it. So you knock off 93 euros per tonne. You know, there's no profit at all. In fact, you're making a massive loss. The upside of the 2020 harvest is there won't be an exportable surplus. <laughs> That's, the fact. That's the upside. Yeah, what's the downside? The downside is there is a lot less grain for poor grain traders to, to make money from. So yeah. you've got to worry about the grain traders. I do. I, I do worry about the grain traders on a regular basis. All you of do. them. Well, there's not, not just you. All. There, are, there aren't many left. Well, that's very true. There aren't too many left, are there? Ah, oh, uh, Webby's just right. joined us. He's, oh. he's brought the beer along. We're going to do oh that. My do that in a minute. Goodness we me. have to try a beer. Tricky this time of day. Yeah, Seriously? no, we have to. Are we pretending this interview is done in the afternoon. Is that no, what well, no, we is? gave up pretending. It's lunchtime. We now admit that we drink. We drink beer in the mornings on a Friday and trade like gods in the afternoon. How terrifying. Um, but we'll open them up in a minute because we've danced in in Brexit. Where we are. We're deep oh, into no. Brexit. Not again. We're deep. Oh, again. So I'm not the first. Yeah, but we. we oh, you, you've gone straight in with some. Some hard-hitting facts, Ali. Well, I, I'm just astounded. I'm astounded. All the ideas, so many farmers face All the ideas own. are Ali's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Andy. No, it's my pleasure. <laughs> anyway, so, and, so let's, while we're at that, should we do politics? Okay, we've we an election politics. coming up. I know, even more exciting. So, so yes, clearly I'm voting Labour. 
<laughs> Clearly, you know, me too. Having having put my house on the line and put everything online to set a business up, I'm I'm utterly determined to give all my staff shares and uh, and, and share in the thing, and then give the rest of the profit to uh, to, to Jeremy and Mr. McDonald. I, I'm a champagne socialist at heart. I probably won't be voting Labour, but I'm not mm. going to tell you who I'd be voting for. But uh, it looks like most of the parties are going to put a land tax on. That is what has been talked about. Land tax. Yeah. So that is going to be ten percent of the value of whatever you own land-wise. So if you were in the central London, that's going to be a lot of money you're going to be paying. Mm. However, it's still going to be a lot of money if you're owning 100 acres in the in North Norfolk. You know, pretty scary. Is it a, a, an annual thing or just a one-off? No, I think it's an annual thing. Yeah. Well, it's, then it will, agriculture can't survive that. Well, what would happen is that the price of food would go up. So that cost would have to be passed on. Well, and then, all right. A hundred acres, ten thousand pounds an acre is a million pounds. Ten percent of that is a hundred thousand pounds yeah, per absolutely. annum. Yep. And the farmer is having his subsidy taken away, and he's not making a profit. Yeah, but should he have a subsidy in the first place? Why has no, no, he got forget, a subsidy? Forget the subsidy. Let's, let's ignore the subsidy <laughs> okay. and say he is paid the subsidy. He's now not making a profit from his farming. Yeah, he's making the profit from his his subsidy. Going to go as well. That's going to go. Yeah, and you're going to get a hundred thousand pounds. Tax yeah, so, for so every hundred acres so, you own. So we've had we've had uh, artificially low prices for food for the last 40, 50 years, yeah, and that's been the common agricultural policy has been to keep food cheap, and which is understandable. Totally, you know, yeah. every great revolution has started through not being able to feed yeah, your no, population. Yeah, so yeah. the idea that it is artificially low maybe does need to change. Maybe yeah. it actually needs to be a real price. So, so the, if you open it up to world prices. We are artificially low. But there are other countries that are still subsidised, i.e. America, who can send chicken in here cheaper because of the subsidy and the, the various things they're allowed to pour down the chicken's throat yeah. and the flocking levels in the cages and what have yeah. you. Yeah. So you can't compete. You've got your own set of rules here that dictate you are unable to be that efficient, if that's the yeah. word. So food prices will stay low because the government need low prices to get voted in again. Yeah, I get that. So, You're screwed. But there's no vote in British agriculture. So going back to the election coming up... Yeah. Well, isn't it less than 2%? Mm, and, and, of the, and, of that, and of that 2%, only a maximum of 50% of those are going to vote for either party. So there's no vote in it. Mm. So, you know, you can go on about lobbying and all the rest of it, but actually, you know what? The government doesn't really care. The government actually cares about energy production because if you don't keep the lights on and you don't keep the trucks moving to get food from A to B to supermarkets, that is the only thing they're really concerned about is energy. They're not concerned about food production per se because you can get it from elsewhere so we end up hung parliament going round in further circles and a land tax coming regardless i think that the idea of a land tax is is being certainly pushed and i don't think it's as a populist vote i don't think that it's something i think that people have thought about this for a long time and i don't think it's necessarily being aimed at british agriculture it's actually aimed at all of those uh, land banks that supermarkets and all sorts of companies have in London, and it's about housing first and foremost. Mm. So whether or not it will be altered for agriculture, I don't know, but I think it's to try and get that move to, to housing. Andy, you should know all about that. Um, people putting houses on land instead of just sitting there on brownfield sites and just people waiting for it to do something else. Yeah, I'm so glad we've done it so beautifully at Munsley. It does look very nice, Andy. Yeah, we are so... Can you imagine... The mighty River Mun flowing through the bottom there. 
the thing is that uh, the, about the houses, because we've mentioned them a few times, the one thing I cannot imagine of being able to suffer would be if we'd have built really cheap, nasty houses and turning up at the rugby club and having certain people who are itching for you to fail anyway tap you on the shoulder and go, oh, buy a house from doing grain, it'll fall down. Yeah. So yeah. We've, we had to build them out of Quality. Know, rock. Yeah. <laughs> it had to be solid. And, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's been a good decision. Well, I think they look terrific. Thank you. Yeah. No, I'm not just saying that. I th- you, know, you, ask, uh, <laughs> you know, for, for, for sale. No, but for you know, something that's in the vernacular that is not too, you know, pastiche. Mm. Uh, actually, they look bloody good. Look I'm going to use that in the sales. Actually, pastiche, not too pastiche. <clears throat> I like that. And I like the bridge. It's like the Millennium Bridge getting over there, Andy. It looks great. There's two little two little bridges have gone there, and uh, we had a little party for the residents. And at the party, I decided to announce that um, because I have two daughters. And I've got two bridges. So you're going to name them after the girl. That's exactly what I've done. Terrific. You see, and I did that, and I said, and just remember that whenever they turn up with some boyfriend or partner, ah, then indeed. I'm going to be the person that, that says, has he built your bridge? Well, he's not as good as your dad, is he? Oh, there we go. <laughs> They're never going to be father. <laughs> anyway, right, we've, Webby has brought some beer. Now, we, I've got to talk a little bit about this beer gently, and you'll understand why in a moment, because this box turned up at our office with, uh, with a... We couldn't work out who it came from at first. And um, our friend, Jeffrey Kuypers from CME in London, which is Chicago Mercantile Exchange, found some beer. He went to Germany... And, he, and he, he decided to book into a place called Fuking. <laughs> Spelt F-U-C-K. Is there an umlaut anywhere on no, that? No, there's no yeah. umlaut. <laughs> F-U-C-K-I-N-G. And the beer is hell beer. So right, yeah, I get that. I'm pretty, yeah. <laughs> doesn't take a genius so, to quickly get that in line, does it? So he thought, having this podcast a few times, that um, it would be very funny for us to have assess to, this have beer. Have to actually say... So he, yeah, well, Fuking. It, I don't know why he booked into to Fuking. Yeah, um, whether he's expecting anything else, but he managed to find Fuking help. Hell yeah. Look and at so, that. So, yes. Jeffrey, I think I got round that one reasonably well. I do quite like the graphics on the front there, Andrew. There's a, a picture of a cherub rolling around on the ground with a, the devil, isn't there? That's so yeah. intimate. I would say. <laughs> yes. We're going to have a go at the the famous Fuking. Beer. Having come from Germany, inevitably it's Eurofizz colour with lots of bubbles. Actually, it's very good. Is it? Yeah. For 9.30 in the morning, it's actually <laughs> exceptional. <laughs> it's very good, yeah. I mean, it tastes better than it looks, I would say, wouldn't you? I would say it, uh, I think that's a very good piece of marketing, and that's a sort of novelty present that lots of people, if they're struggling to find a, yeah. um, a little prezzy, a yes. little box of that turning up will make a few people chuckle. Yeah, I think you'd take it along to your sort of uni uh, freshers do, wouldn't you? You've just brought up an awkward uh, conversation there. Andrew's love of students, Ali. Ah, do we not? Do we are we? Oh, right. So the tax dodging, uh, soap dodgers of the no, world, no, Andy, no, no, or no, no, no. The, the fact that you're having to pay, we're well, looking forward to having to pay some some money into unless <laughs> Labour get in, Andy. Unless Labour get in, Webby has been hammered over the years for being one of our graduates. I have oh. a great love of students if they are going to be doctors or dentists. However, there's a whole great lot trading. of people who, who waste <laughs> who waste three years. I mean, Webby yesterday confessed to what he said. We were talking about Dad's Army, and Webby said, wasn't one of the members of Dad's Army on EastEnders? And everyone went, no, don't be ridiculous. He was, no, that bloke Pike, Ian Lavender. Was he on EastEnders? Yeah, he yeah. went on EastEnders. Now, the only person who knew that was Webby. And why was it? How did you know that, Ian? I did have a three-year period of watching EastEnders. There we go. 
There we go. And did that did that coincide with your three years at Bristol uh, University? Yeah. Might have done, yeah. And what what was the other attribute that you you succeeded at during your time there? I learned to drink beer pretty well. <laughs> There so, we go. So obviously, clearly, that that research has has worked well for Dewing Gray. So he feels a bit bitter about my bitter assessment. Being the <laughs> good, I like that. So, he, but he, um, the the other, my my point about graduates is they come into a place of work and they assume they're going to be the managing director in four and a half minutes, is he and not? they kind of ignore. I what's... thought he what. Are you not? Magic? No. Oh, there was. So- no, Ian, Ian's the exception. He'd actually been somewhere else first. Ah, <laughs> oh, right. And, okay. and so he'd learned. Oh, fresh the, out of he'd, safe No, he'd, he'd learned yeah. the rules about which he'd actually got the. You know, he'd actually got, been given the push. <laughs> so um, we we picked him up off the gutter and saved him, and uh, you know how it is, and taught him the ways absolutely. of the world, like, a bit like uh, Yoda and Young Skywalker. Ah, oh, there we go. We have people who come in and they honestly believe that they are management material instantly. And they, the best thing they do is ignore people who I don't know do the accounts or just they, they just they just kind of like uh, you know, that's below me. Yeah, uh, yeah. mine's white with the sugar. I th- we've we've done our time. I, I think we've had a half decent beer with a really uh, really inventive name. Indeed. And uh, yeah, we've danced in politics and Brexit, which is well, which yeah. is uh, an area I'm so scared of. So brilliant. Well done, you. And I've thoroughly enjoyed this. That's Thanks, Alex. It's been it's been very amusing. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm you know tell all your friends. We'll Enlightening. Get at least ten more listeners. <laughs> we'll try. I get at least. I think I've got eight eight friends. Okay. I'll do, I'll do. Anyway, thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263. 731550 or email info at uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 